following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Your life, my life, our life, uh, is just a series of events uh, that take place, both good and bad. Uh, You can look back over your life and see uh, this series of highs and lows, uh, victories and defeats. Uh, but you can always see God's hand at work. When you, when you step back and take a, a look at the, the whole thing, I, I've heard Charles Stanley say before that what we look at is kind of like a parade. We only see one small part of it, but God sees the whole thing from beginning to end. It's like he's got a, a much bigger view than we do. And I've also heard that our life is kind of like a, a tapestry uh, something that's been sewn together. On the back side of it, it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like a bunch of different colors. But when you turn it over, you see the picture come into full sight. And if you pull one thread on one side of it, more than likely it's going to pull a thread on the other portion of it. That's kind of like your life is. You know, Your events that are taking place today are most likely happening because of events that took place many years ago. Uh, I talked to you a little bit this morning about my journal and, and kind of going back and looking over it during this time and what was going on uh, three years ago. Boy, 2020 was just such a such a strange year, such a challenging year. But we can see now the things that we have learned. None of us ever want to go back and repeat that. Amen? <laughs> we, we don't want to go back and go through that again. But just think of all the valuable lessons that you learned during that time. The times that you learned to lean on Jesus more. The times that you learn to trust in the Lord more. And I, I went back and looked at it uh, from the time I received my first call from your pastor search committee at that time, the conversations that we had. Uh, one of the notes that I have in mind is kind of a strange and out of place note. Uh, it, it says, those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. Well, what I was going through at that time and what you were going through at that time were basically uncharted waters. None of us had been through a pandemic before. I, I had never been uh, full, fully into the ministry uh, as a vocation, as a calling. So that was basically uncharted waters for me. I had no history to learn from. I was kind of, if you want to call it, flying by the seat of my pants. I was trusting in the Lord more at that time than I ever was before. But I, I can see time and time again where... Uh, I prayed for specific confirmations from the Lord. I've got different scriptures uh, logged down in here. here here's one that, that kind of jumped out at me. It happened on the, uh, the 9th of August. It says, Behold, it comes from Jeremiah 33, 6. It says, Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. Boy, it, it didn't seem like much at the time I wrote that. But right now when I look at that, I, I just see God's hand all over that and bringing me through that time. Many, many other uh, indications in here, many other things that, that, I, that I went through and looked at. Uh, one that happened on the 14th, that would be tomorrow, studying uh, Isaiah chapter 16 verses 1 through 14. Of course, that was... When Samuel was led to anoint David as the next king of Israel. We're studying Samuel right now today. And the, the, the notes that I have on that is that God's voice, I, I'm learning how to obey his calling and, and going where he leads me to. So as I began looking through this, as I look at uh, 
some of the particular callings uh, and some of the confirmations uh, that the Lord gave me. Uh, many of them about being a shepherd. Uh, many other passages about a confirmation. Uh, talking about the hurricanes and storms that we went through during that time. All of those were uh, a series of victories, uh, a series of defeats, a series of setbacks. But they were all very, very valuable lessons that at that time I really didn't know what God was preparing me for. You didn't know what God was preparing you for. We didn't know where we would be at at this point in time. But uh, one of the biggest confirmations uh, come from the book of Philemon. I mean, whoever goes to the book of Philemon for a study, especially to get a confirmation of the calling where you were at, but at the time when we were talking about where we were going to stay at, you know, how we're we going to work out the housing. I haven't sold my house yet. I haven't bought a house here yet. It's going to be expensive to rent an apartment. Uh, someone came up with the idea. I said, hey, I, I've got a place where you can stay at. And uh, in Philemon, that's what it talked about. It said, you know, uh, we're going to trust in the Lord that he will bring you to us and that he'll provide a place for you to stay at. I mean, that was just a God's confirmation all over it. So as we talk, talk tonight about victories, uh, I want to talk about the past a little bit. We're going to read a story that uh, the Israelites kind of leaned heavily upon uh, their past. Before we get in the passage of 1 Samuel chapter 4, I want to take you to the book of Joel uh, chapter 2. I know we're in Cajun country. You may say Joel or Joel. I don't know how you say it, but uh, I want to read you a passage out of the book of Joel. It kind of led me to this uh, this afternoon as I was preparing for it. I want you to keep this in the back of your mind as we're looking at a passage in 1 Samuel. Uh, Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. It says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. That right there is shouting grounds, folks. (laughs) That right there is something we can all look at our life and say, man, look at the, all the marvelous things that God. And if you can keep your mind focused on that, the victory is going to be so much sweeter and so much easier. For the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up. And the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. He's talking about bringing a rain and nurturing the land and producing fruit in a land that was once barren. And he will cause the rain to come down on you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. All of those are signs of God's blessings. At a time when the land was barren, a time when they had suffered from defeat. So God says, it's not going to be like that forever. He said, there's going to be a time where I'm going to bring the rain once again. Uh, your crops are going to flourish. Here's the one I want to focus on most of all is in verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust. The chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. The locusts were a plague that God would send uh, as judgment on God's people. But he says those years that the locust has taken away, when they remove your crops and they've eaten everything that you've tried to grow, he said those years, even though the enemy has taken them from you, I will restore them to you. Keep that in mind tonight because here's what I want you to understand. You may think that there are some times in your life that you have not spent wisely Living for the Lord. 
There may, may be some times in your life when you have suffered defeat, whether it be from a temptation, whether it be from an illness, whether it be from a job loss or a relationship, whatever the case may be. God said, those years that you think have wasted, I will restore them and I'll make you fruitful once again. That's the situation that we're in with the people of Israel. Uh, they come up against the Philistines here in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, they get confident and they come up against the enemy of pride and they suffer a defeat because they tried to do some things that had happened in the past that they were victorious in once before and it just didn't work the second time. What am I trying to say by all this? The, the, the past is good to look at and learn from. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But we can't rely on the victories that we've had in the past to get us to where we need to be right here in the present. So I think back, you know, I, I was in the 80s. I was an 80s kid. I graduated in 86. I remember all the movies from back then. I remember all the music. Hey, look, the 1980s had the greatest music ever. I don't care what you say. I had some of the best movies too, man. I remember Star Wars in the 70s. I remember Jaws. Uh, Jaws changed my life. I don't go to the beach hardly anymore because of that. Uh, one of the movies I remember back in the 80s was Back to the Future. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Uh, he played the part of Marty McFly. He had a friend, Dr. Emmett Brown. They, they transformed this DeLorean and made it into a time machine. And Marty McFly got to go back to when his parents were in high school and make some situations right for them to continue on and get married, have a family. Of course, he was born from that. Back to the future, he had the opportunity to go back and change some things uh, that would shape his life as he knew it in the present. So if you had the opportunity to go back and and to change some things in your life, you probably would want to do that. You would probably want that opportunity. Or you may say, you know, I'm happy with my life the way it is. I've learned some valuable lessons. There's not a thing in the world that I would go back and change. But the Israelites here in this opening part of chapter 4, they try to live in the present by reliving the past and, and claiming victories that they had back then. Do you know anybody that's still living in the past? Do you know anybody that's just kind of clinging to some things in the past and, and that's their hope? That's what they're living their life on right now? If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you're probably living in the past. Look, I'm fixing to beat up some Dallas Cowboy fans. I hope you don't get offended, but uh, that was one of my, my my pastimes before I got into the ministry. I used to beat up on Dallas Cowboy fans because, man, they talk about, we them boys, this, this is going to be our year. Uh, man, that was back in the 90s when they won their Super Bowl, and they haven't won one since then. You, you know where the best place to go in the event of a tornado is, don't you? Cowboy Stadium because there's no chance of a touchdown there. I, I mean, I used to, we used to work with some guys and I would just harass them mercifully, uh, unmercifully. I mean, I would just give them a, such a hard time. There's also some New Orleans Saints fans that like to live in the fast. Man, it was a 2009 when they won their Super Bowl. But there's some people that still talk about that. They still talk about this is going to be our year. This is going to be the year that we win. There are still some New Orleans Saints fans who who uh, talk about the uh, no call on the pass interference and the playoff loss to the to the Rams. They still, hey, we were robbed, you know. That was a bad call. They should have called that, and they're living on that. They said, if man, if we would have won that game, we would have went on to the Super Bowl. They're they're living in the past. 
So we're in the book of Samuel, and we see the Israelites actually living in the past. They come up against their, their arch enemies, the Philistines. They say, what are we going to do? We're going to suffer defeat. And they come up with the idea that let's do something that happened in the past that we saw our ancestors use to be victorious. But that's not what God told them to do in this situation. We're in the book of Samuel. Samuel, uh, the most... For the most part, uh, Jewish tradition credits Samuel, uh, the prophet Gad, and the prophet Nathan as compiling these books. Most seem to think that uh, chapters 1 through 29 were written by Samuel himself. So what we're reading here tonight is probably written by Samuel. This is an account uh, that he gave after he was submitted to the calling of God. There was a 20-year gap before he really shows up on the scene again. Uh, the name Samuel actually means heard or asked of God or appointed by God. But the chapter of what happens tonight, when we begin in chapter 4 and when we end at the end of chapter 7, there's a location that I really want us to focus on tonight. And that location is known as Ebenezer. Do you have an Ebenezer in your life? The name Ebenezer means... Uh, a stone of help. Where is your Ebenezer? When you see Ebenezer, this is the only time in the Bible when Ebenezer is mentioned. And it's all about the location and what took place at that location. There's a transition that takes place. Where is your Ebenezer? Your Ebenezer, you, you may need to make your own Ebenezer here before you leave tonight. Your Ebenezer could be a place of defeat. It could be a place of lamentation or it could be a place of victory where you experience the true victory at. Could be the place like Joel mentioned here in just a moment ago where the years that you lost to the locusts have been restored finally. So we all have three primary enemies against us as Christians. We have the enemy of pride, which is what the Israelites suffer from in this passage. We have the enemy of the flesh, and we have the enemy of the devil. Uh, most of the times they all three work as one, but there are some times when they work separately and on their own. So tonight Israel is against their most common foe, the Philistines. Uh, we see them, see them emerge again in the battle of David and Goliath. They're up against the Philistines. But just time and time again, the Philistines keep coming back and Dealing these uh, blows to the Israelites. So let's read in uh, chapter 4. We're going to see that point number 1. We have all experienced a season of defeat. Look, you, you may be living in defeat right now, but don't think that it's the end. God's not looking down upon you. He has not cast judgment on you. He has not counted you out. You might have two strikes against you. You're thinking this is going to be the third strike and I'm out. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, 16, that a just man falls seven times but rises up again. But the wicked will lie in defeat. So tonight might be the night that you say, you know, I'm down. I'm defeated. There's something in my life that's going on. But tonight might be the night that you find your Ebenezer where you rise up again. And claim that victory that is rightfully yours. Beginning in verse 1. 
It says, the word of, the Samuel, uh, word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. This was a crushing blow. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Your Ebenezer might be a place of defeat, just like here for the Israelites. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand why God has allowed this defeat. But if you'll think back to what we read in chapter 2 this morning, the sons of Eli were wicked. Phineas and Hophni, they were mishandling the offerings that were being brought to the tabernacle. And God was looking down upon Israel. And that's why he called out the prophet Samuel to correct that situation. So they come up with this idea, the Lord has defeated us, he's against us, he has allowed our enemies, the Philistines, to defeat us. Here's what we can do, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. That when it comes among us, it may save us from the hands of the enemies. What's going on there? They're saying it has worked before in the past, surely it will work again Right now, in our time of desperation, they're relying on a creation instead of relying on the creator. Where did this mindset come from? Where did this dependency on the Ark of the Covenant come from? If you'll remember back to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, it was the Ark of the Covenant that they marched around Jericho with. And then when they shouted on that last time, God gave them the victory. They were thinking about the time when they crossed over the Jordan River. They took the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as the feet of the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant touched the water, the water separated and they were able to march forward on dry ground. They thought back to those times that God gave them the victory and the presence of the Ark of the Covenant was there. And they credited that victory to an artifact instead of giving God himself the credit for the victory. Not only that, not only did they count about the Ark of the Covenant, but we're going to see something else in just a moment that is kind of reflective of those times as well. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. There's your fly in the ointment right there. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Reminiscent of Joshua chapter 6. God said, when you march around the city, you be silent until that last time. And then you shout. Everybody shouts. You blast the horns. And that's when I want to give you the victory. That's what these shouts were uh, significant of. That's what they were representative of. Not only were they relying on the Ark of the Covenant, but they were relying on the shouts to terrify the Philistines and give them the victory. So when you see a shout in the Bible, a shout can mean many different things depending on its context. Just like in real life, when you hear somebody shout in real life, it can mean many different things. It all depends on what the situation is. When you go to a sporting event, 
A shout from fans might mean that their favorite team has scored a touchdown or made a home run. It could be a shout of joy. It could be a shout of excitement. Or it could be a shout because the referees have made a bad call against their bad team. They didn't like it. When you go to someone's home, they might shout because they're excited to see you. (laughs) Or they might shout because they want you to get off of their property. I don't know what you've done or where you've been or if you've ever visited anybody like that. It all depends on the context of what's going on, what the emotions are. And when we see shouting in the Bible, it all depends on the context as well. Remember, when anytime you read your Bible, context is king. Content is queen. In, shout, in Scripture, a shout could mean many different things. It could mean joy. In Exodus 32, when Moses came down off the mountain, he heard shouting going on. They were worshiping a golden calf. He said, look, it, it sounds like a noise of war. But he said, no, it's not the shout of victory or the shout of defeat, but it is the shout of singing. They were rejoicing over the situation. In 2 Samuel 16, David brought the ark to Jerusalem and there were shouts and trumpets going on because they were excited about the ark of the covenant being back in Jerusalem. Psalms 47.1 says, shout to God with voice of a trumpet. So shouting in scripture could represent joy or it could represent a war cry. Joshua 6, that, that shout at Jericho, it was a war cry. 1 Samuel 17, whenever David slew Goliath, the Israelites were shouting because of victory. It was a war cry. The, the, the hero of the Philistines has been defeated by the hero of the Israelites. But a shout could also mean in Scripture it's a proclamation of something important. Genesis 41, 48 says that when Joseph rode out in the chariots and the Egyptians, they celebrated because of the things that he had done. They shouted out. And every knee would bow down to him as he passed by. Revelations 18.2, the angels cried out, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. They were proclaiming that something significant had happened. And so what were the Israelites trying to recreate here? They were trying to recreate those situations. Bringing in the Ark of the Covenant and then shouting, But we find out here that at this Ebenezer, they suffered defeat. So when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does this sound of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues of the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews. As they have been to you, conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Not just one major defeat with 4,000 men falling at the hands of the Philistines, but another major defeat that led to the Philistines apprehending and confiscating the ark. 
They defeated them, and every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. But here's the crushing blow. The one thing that they prized more than anything else, the one thing that they were putting their faith in more than God himself, also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So we've all experienced times of defeat, just like the Israelites here. Their Ebenezer, the first time at Ebenezer, led to a defeat. And that may be where you are in your life. You may be relying on victories from the past. You're confident that God's going to do it again. You're confident that God is going to do it the exact same way. Look, I found out in my life... (laughs) God doesn't usually do the same thing twice in your life. Usually it's something different each and every time. Because if he were to do the same thing over and over and over again, you would get so lax and so confident and so complacent. God likes to keep you on your toes, though. But he doesn't want us to live in defeat. Next thing I want you to see is that there will also be seasons when we experience mourning When we experience sadness, when we experience those times of depression, there will be some times when you go through mourning in your life. The Bible tells us that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I guarantee you that season of mourning that you're going through, that season of sadness, it's not going to last forever. You may be living under the circumstances right now, but you don't have to be. We're going to see in just a moment how God turns this whole thing around. It takes a long time for them to reclaim what the enemy has taken from them. But it does happen, and it will happen for you as well. So what happens whenever they find out that the Ark of the Covenant is gone and the the two sons of Eli have died? Eli himself passes away. When they bring in the news to Israel, uh, verses 12 through 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But they come in and they announce in the city what happened. The Philistines have defeated us. They've taken the Ark of the Covenant. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. And when Eli hears this news, he falls back and he breaks his neck and he dies himself. Because he was an old man. He was 98 years old and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Now this shouldn't come as a surprise because this is exactly what God had proclaimed back in chapter 2 verse 34. It says, now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. And one day they shall die, both of them. So this shouldn't have come as a surprise at all to Eli. He knew exactly what was coming. He knew what Samuel was going to proclaim. That wasn't a surprise to him either. But what happens in this part of the passage is exactly what God proclaimed against Eli and his sons. Eli's death was caused by the news of the ark being apprehended. And it says even here that uh, his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, mentions twice that because the ark of the covenant is gone, the glory of God has departed from Israel. She mentions that twice in that passage. Once again, expressing more faith in a creation than in the creator himself. The pride of Israel has been removed. What prized possession is it that you cling to right now? 
What accomplishment from the past brings you greater pride than anything else? Better yet, what defeat from the past still has you in mourning? What what is the one thing you look at and you just say, I am so disappointed in myself for doing that. You're kicking yourself. You're beating yourself up over it. What loss in your life has made you bitter? Here's what Elizabeth Elliot has to say about healing when we come to these times of mourning that we experience. She says, our Heavenly Father often has to hurt us in order to heal us. We sometimes fail to recognize his mighty love in this, yet we are firmly held always in his everlasting arms. This time of mourning that you're going through because of a defeat, it's not going to last forever. You might be down right now, but God is going to teach you something during that time that is going to make you better and stronger and relying more upon him because of it. Your circumstances will either make you bitter or they'll make you better. You may be doing fine under the circumstances, but your best opportunities come when you get on top of your circumstances. Not saying, look what I can do, but saying, look what God has helped me to do. Look at what God has brought me up out of. I was in this time of mourning and God taught me so much and now I'm on top of my circumstances. I've gotten over this defeat and now I'm not looking back. I'm moving forward because I have grown so much during this time. And so in chapter 5 through the middle of 6, we follow the path of where this ark has traveled to. The writer of the book, most likely Samuel, takes into account what happened with this ark once it left the possession of God's people. And so we see that as it travels from one place to the next, nobody wants to keep the thing because nothing but bad things happen to those who are in possession of it when it's outside of the possession of God's people. Just keep that in mind as well. Your prized possession, the thing that you cherish, it's not going to bless anybody else. They're not going to get a blessing out of it. God wants to bring that back to you so you will continue to be blessed by it. So they can't get rid of this uh, ark fast enough. What belongs to God's people brings nothing but chaos confusion, and curses to those in opposition of Israel. So here's what happened. The Philistines take it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Ashdod is a place of their God, his temple. Uh, Dagon was their God, and they bring it into Dagon's temple. And during the night, when they left it alone in there, they come back the next morning, and the temple, uh, the statue of Dagon is down on his face. It has fallen during the night. They say, look, we can't keep this thing. (laughs) It has some kind of mysterious power to it. It's bringing a cursing to us and it's impacting our God, the God that we worship. What are we going to do with this thing? So they take it from there and they go to Gath with it. If you remember, Gath is where Goliath was from. And when it gets to Gath, it curses all of the inhabitants there with tumors. They say, we don't want it. This thing is no good. It's not bringing us any power and it's not bringing us any blessings. As a matter of fact, it's bringing us a cursing. 
It doesn't belong to us. It's not rightfully ours. And from there, they try to send it to a place called Ekron. And the inhabitants of Ekron have already gotten wind of what's going on. They say, we don't want even want it coming into our city. We understand how bad it is and what cursing is bringing to you. They've already heard the rumors of what it's causing. And they won't even allow it into their region. So what was their solution? Let's send it back to Israel. They don't just send it back to Israel, but they bring it back with offerings. The Israelites get the ark back from the enemies plus more. They send them offerings of cattle, a new cart, golden statues. All of these riches they bring back. They say, look, please take this thing back because it's not bringing us nothing but bad luck and curses. And we want you to have what's rightfully yours. These years that the locusts have taken away from you, God will restore When you come out of this time of defeat and this time of mourning and God brings back what's rightfully yours, you're going to get way more than what was taken away from you the first time. Your initial defeat is going to lead to such a sweet, sweet victory. But there's one step that you have to take to make sure that that happens. Point number three, the key to overcoming the mistakes of the past is genuine repentance. The Ark of the Covenant comes back into the region of Israel. It stays in one place for a period of 20 years. And then Samuel says, we need to bring it back to where it rightfully belongs. But Samuel leads the people to do something in preparation of the Ark of the Covenant coming back home. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 2, explains this. It says, so it was that the ark remained in Kirath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Brother Tracy, I thought we was already through with this mourning period. I thought we was already through with this sadness. Why are they lamenting over it? There's, the word lamenting means a lot more than just sorrow. It means a lot more than just mourning. The Amplified Version uses the word wailed. They wailed after the Lord. The HCSB says that they began to seek the Lord. The CSB says that they longed for the Lord. Lamenting is sorrow leading to true repentance. This was not merely a time of sadness over what had happened. They were sad and broken over their sin and their disobedience. And they have come to the realization that their pride has led to the past 20 years or more that the enemy has stolen away from them. And God says, now I want to restore that. But you have to show some signs of true repentance. If they would have just relied on the power of God initially, they would have enjoyed all of those years. But instead, they didn't have the ark in their possession. And those years were very, very sad years for them. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord 
and serve him only. That's one of those conditional clauses right there. That is one of those if-then statements. That's saying God wants to bless you, but here's what needs to take place for that to happen. If you really return to the Lord, show me some evidence. Show me some proof. If you're really wanting to return to the Lord, then here's what you're going to do. You're going to put away all of those foreign gods. And you're going to prepare your heart for the Lord and serve him only. And look at this next statement. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Not the Ark of the Covenant. Not a past victory. Not some artifact that they were clinging to and putting all of their faith and hope in. But Samuel says, God will deliver you from your enemy. And God will restore the years that the locusts have taken from you. And God will give you back your blessing and then much more than that. Not only will you get the Ark of the Covenant back, but your enemy is going to give you riches and blessings to go on top of it as well. Psalm chapter 126. Listen to what the psalmist writes here. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's all worth. Uh, this is a song of ascent. This is one that they would uh, read as they were going up Mount Zion to worship at the temple. It says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done Great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. For 20 years, the Israelites have been sowing in tears. They have been weeping. Now they have the opportunity to get their joy back. Maybe it's been a long time that you've been suffering from defeat. Maybe it's been a long period of mourning for you as well. Your time is coming. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Folks, that's a promise from God. Your sorrow is not going to last forever. This defeat that you're going through, it's not going to last forever. That is not where God wants you to be. That is not where God wants you to stay. He who continually goes forth weeping, lamenting, repenting, wailing, whatever you want to call it. He who goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Your past and your defeat is, does not define who you are right here in the present. God has a plan for you. God has a reason to bring you through all of that to teach you a lesson. And to make you stronger and to draw you closer to him. If you think you're the only one who goes through times of bitterness and sorrow, think again. <laughs> the Bible is full of it. If you think you're the only one who needs to cry out to God for forgiveness, think again. The book of Psalms itself is filled with what is known as Psalms of Lament. 
Over one-third of the book of Psalms is all Psalms of Lament. There's an entire book in the Bible written, Lamentations, the Lamentations of Jeremiah. So if you think you're the only one that's going through a rough time, if you think you're the only one that's going through a defeat, look, you just get into the pages of Scripture and you see how many people God has restored and given them back more than they lost. The word lament here means a wailing or a mourning song. The fact of the matter is that their laments were signs of repentance. We are turning back from those 20 years. We're not going to live in defeat. We're moving forward with what the Lord has called us to do. They prepared their hearts. They removed their false gods. They served the Lord. They prayed. They fasted. And they confessed their sins. That's what Samuel told him to do. He said, if you will turn back, if you'll prepare your heart, God will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 4, so the children of Israel put away the bells and the asteroids, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. The one I want you to see is that Samuel made a sacrifice. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder, down in verse 10, upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. It wasn't their shout. It wasn't them bringing back of the Ark of the Covenant. But God made a way for them to have victory during that time. And the Israelites pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as uh, Beth Car. And Samuel said, uh, he took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So Ebenezer was a sign of defeat. It was a sign of mourning, but it was also in the end a place of victory. So here's the question on the floor tonight. Here's what we're going to conclude with. What has the enemy taken from you? Is there an area of forgiveness you have yet to deal with? Is there an area of pride that needs to be removed from your life? Point number four, I just read the scriptures, verses 9 through 12. We need to rely completely on Jesus Christ to bring us to true victory. Do you have a place that you can call your Ebenezer, the place where you found true victory at? A place that you can call your stone of help. Here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to look up and praise God, first of all, for all he's done for you. Then I want you to look back and thank God for all that he's done for you in the past, what he's brought you through how he's grown you through those times. And I want you to look around right now and I want you to experience what God is doing, which is where the Israelites failed at. They failed to experience, look around and experience what God was doing in the here and now. 
They were living in the sweet by and by. We can't live in the sweet by and by. Look, what brought you through the past is not going to get you to where you need to go in the future. Not only do I want you to look around and experience God, but I want you to look forward and I want you to trust God. God, give me that place of victory. Give me that stone of Ebenezer. And I love this last quote by Joe Beam in his book, Getting Past Guilt. There is a difference between being forgiven of a sin and being healed of a sin. Forgiveness is what takes place in God's heart, but healing is what happens in yours. Folks, God wants to heal us. He wants to heal our land. That's why he's known as Jehovah Rapha, the, the God who heals. He wants to heal you of your defeat. He wants to heal you of your season of mourning. He wants to bring you to a point of true repentance. And he wants to heal you to a place where you experience that true victory like you've never experienced before. Isaiah 53, 5 says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus claimed our victory at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. That blood still has the same power in it. It has the power to wash us away of all of our sins. It has the power to give us the victory and not to live in defeat. And so tonight, I want you to find that place, your stone of Ebenezer, your place of victory. And I want you to say, thus far, the Lord has helped us, and I know that he's going to help us again. But whatever you do, don't rely on past victory. Don't rely on things that have happened in the past. We can learn from the past. We can learn from our mistakes. But God wants to do something fresh and new here in your life, here in the life of this church, here in this city. And I think you see that happening. I think you see that the evidence is there, that God is really, really moving. He's stirring. Like I said this morning, God only does business with those who mean business. Do you mean business with God tonight? Are you ready to move forward and claim that victory? Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to have a time of invitation tonight. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But as Nancy makes her way up to the piano, I want you to just think for a moment. When is the last time that you really experienced a true victory in your life? When is the last time you can look back and say, man, I see God's hand all over that situation. That, that was a rough time that I went through, but I know that God was bringing me through it. To help me experience a victory. Perhaps tonight you're suffering from a defeat. Perhaps tonight you are going through a time of mourning. Perhaps you are just kind of stagnant in your faith. You're not really moving forward. You're not really moving backward. But you're not growing at all. Let tonight be the night. That you claim that place that you can call your Ebenezer, your place of victory. These altars will be open in just a moment. I, I don't want you moving around. I just want you to listen to the piano playing softly. We're not going to stand and sing. Just a little bit of music in the background. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And when I when I conclude in the prayer, just 
Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a few moments. Respond however God is leading you to respond. And just do business with God tonight. Father God, we come before you tonight just thanking you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, I thank you that as your children, you want us to lead the victorious Christian life. But God, I'm afraid we look at all the times we failed in the past and we say that there's just no way we can do it again. God, that is not how you operate. I know personally, Lord God, that you can give us the victory over any temptation, any sin, any area of unforgiveness that we are suffering from, Lord God. The world tells us that time heals all wounds. I know that that is false. I know that you are the only one who can heal any wounds. Because your word says it is by your stripes that we are healed. So I pray, Lord God, that the love and the mercy of God would fall upon this place tonight. That there would be a freedom and a liberty like we've never experienced before. That your Holy Spirit would move about touching lives and changing hearts. And showing us, Lord God, the areas that we need to do business in. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.